Ah, the Real Football Show podcast. Albie Kidd, former Scottish superstar. How are you, Albert? Hey, Dets, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Former Adelaide United champion as well, Marcus Flores. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you, mate. And the best soccer journalist in the world, Val Miliaccio. How are you, Val? He's well, got so all he the tells pin- us, Anna He's got all the breaking news. Can you call him former champion? Former, they're, they're still champions. <laughs> right. Fair point. Champ. No? Ten, ten seconds in, he's having a crack at me. <laughs> Hey, Marcus, can I ask you just a question without notice first up? We're going to cover all sorts of topics today, but playing in the United States, how, how strong is that league? How good is football in the US? Uh, no, no, not really strong. I mean, MLS, obviously, they put a lot of millions of dollars and they just um, took it to a different level in terms of superstars. But inter second, the second division, you said, um, with Northern American Super League, it, it was full of colleges, full yep. of students. So it's not, it's not really, really really good level. Similar dynamics to Australia in my humble opinion that's because yep. you know they, they get profile players across there and in the MLS and that's a decent league and also the strong league in there is the indoor soccer league. Yeah right. So uh, that was, um, I actually played in the, the in Kansas uh, in the indoor soccer league and uh, that was very very strong at that time. You played for Kansas? Uh, Wichita Wings. Wichita. Wichita, Wichita, yeah. All right. Um, Val, breaking story, big story over the last couple of days with Adelaide United and the ownership, and in fact, the club being sued for $1.7 million. What can you tell us? Yeah, Michael Maguire um, from the advertiser actually broke. I've been working on the story maybe since about February, but Michael Maguire actually broke it. And it's a former owner, Bruno Marveggio's former company, um, because Bruno was declared bankrupt in 2019, has asked for Bruno Marveggio's share of Adelaide United to be paid out to them. Right. So this could be a little messy. And as I understood it back in 2018, I always thought that Bruno remained a shareholder and and I innocently asked the chairman, Pete Vanderpoel, maybe twice in open forums Mm -hmm. um, on the record whether Bruno was still a partner. And he said, no, but this is all going to unravel now in the Supreme Court. And I think they've got a, um, a directions hearing coming up first before anything else happens. But $1.7 million to be paid out in this environment, gee, mm. that's massive. And, you know, is this going to hurt the club? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, no, big, big amount of money. So we'll keep watching that. Um, boys, uh, Cal Viet has been appointed Adelaide United captain. Is he the right man? Is it, is it a good appointment? I think I think uh, yes, uh, that's because um, you know a lot of people speak about Carl, and we know Carl really well. He's um, he's a former pro, which is good, <clears throat> in my humble opinion. Again, um, yep. but people say to me that um, is he strong enough coach? Because he is a placid type individual. But let me tell you, I've I had him on loan at Elizabeth, and he's a great lad. He's a gentleman. Mm. He, he, he I've seen his training sessions and whatnot. He's right across everything. I think he'll do very very well. That's. Mm. Uh, Marcus, you have an opinion on Carl? I, I love him. You he, love him, right? Yeah. That's high praise. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. He was he was a, he was actually the person, the first Australian person to to travel to Chile to scout me. Um, he flew with a camera. He records some trainings, and 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 I think he's a really really respectful human being. He knows what he's talking about, um, and also. Um, it's not it's not all the personality of the coach. It's also the personality of the team, and I think this team full of youngsters is able to embrace Carbert. As we all know, that uh, a strong dressing room is a, a great recipe for success. And yep. uh, you look at Carol. I think he'll he'll have a very good um, 
happy dressing room and, and I think they, they'll, they'll go on to good things now uh, yep. under uh, Carl Val. Yep, that's very important. Val, a national second division, uh, is it a reality? Gee, there's a lot of talk about it recently in the last couple of years. It's now sort of reaching reaching ahead. They, they plan to get it up and going by 2022. We've got six clubs in Adelaide actually interested. Burkala is one of them. Adelaide City, West Adelaide, Campbelltown, Metro Stars and Adelaide Comets. A reality? Yes, it is. But how, um, how can you pay for it, though? Well, that, I was going to get to that. That's, that's the next version. Um, how are they going to pay for it? And that's the big question. And... But we do we do need another tier for our players to aim to. Now you got the MPL, then the A League, who are pros. But there's the step in between, and it needs to happen. And I think the A League, as we've seen over the last fifteen years, it's gone stagnant. It's really people are um, losing interest. You see, TV ratings <laughs> are dropping off. Fox Sports has lost lost interest in the product, and there needs football's a pyramid. It's, it's always been a pyramid globally, and it, and it needs an injection. Maybe this second division could spark up the A-League as well and give players hope of becoming professionals. Money is always the question, though. Well, it makes perfect sense there, but, um, you know, is it sustainable? You know, you're looking at flights, you're looking at accommodation, wages. It makes perfect sense for me, and it makes for a better A-League first division if there's relegation and promotion. Yeah, I totally agree, but then you've got the argument, I'll be... Say, for example, uh, Adelaide United go down and Perth Glory go down out of the A-League, but the guys getting promoted are from, from New South Wales, and then the next season you lose Brisbane Raw, then the next team coming up is New South Wales again, then the next season you lose maybe Melbourne Victory or Western United. Yep. You could have, like, the A-League all based in one state. Yeah, that's a good point. So you've got to be, we've got to be careful for um, what we wish for and, and how strong we want it. And I know football's not, a competition which is fair, but we have to make sure that the A League is in all major capital cities. That's that's uh, agree. Yeah, I think I think it is really really um, a need to to actually um, to actually have a second division, and I'm going to tell you why. Because players 17 years old are running away from Australia because they don't have an opportunity. Mm. Good in point. a semi-professional yeah. level, guys. Mm. So you don't have an idea how much talent mm-hmm. we are missing to 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 see, to watch viewers, because they're 18 years old. They don't want to sit on the bench of uh, Adelaide City. They said, mm. "No, Jesus Christ, I, I'm wasting my time." You are 18, guys. Here in Australia, you're young, but in overseas, you're not young anymore. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's 16 years old. You playing your first game in Argentina or in South America or in Europe. So with 18 years old, you put your DVD to an agent and they said, no, it's too old. Right. Give me a 16 years old. <laughs> and then when they won the foreigner, 21 is too young. So it's quite a really, really unfair <laughs> game, I guess. <clears throat> but if we don't make a competition strong and we don't allow these four or five clubs to grow, whatever it is, Adelaide City, West Adelaide, these players from MPL, from amateurs, they need to aim to these local clubs. You know, they need to aim. They got a lot of doors, a few, few, a few, few more doors to open, and then, and then, yeah, just play for, uh, play with love to to maintain your spot in A League, because I was in clubs that we finished second last, and was not a tear in the locker room because we we went to holidays early. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, but isn't that incredible, Albie? Like, and and we were saying before before the show that. 
you know, players coming from Australia, getting into the professional environment, yeah. can get their asses kicked hard. And Marcos just alluded to it. You lose a game, and you see the guys at the front bar of a nightclub, you know, in in around Hindley Street. Not long after, and it's a different mentality. You lose a game in Europe or South America. You cry. You've got to hide. You cry for a week. You don't go to the supermarket for a week. Now, saying that, I remember Newcastle Jets. I was recovering my, 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 my ACL. Um, I was bleeding because the club was not winning. And if you said to me, Marcos, I give you an opportunity to do a tattoo of one badge. <laughs> I will, I will put in Newcastle Jets, even if I play seven games. You know why? Because Newcastle Jets called me when I done, when I have actually one leg, but mm. I was recovering from ACO and they signed me anyway. Now, big respect for these guys. I went there, the team, we couldn't win, we couldn't draw. It was terrible. I was bleeding. But one teammate said to me, you know what is your problem, Marcos? You're too passionate. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, you're right, well, There's a statement in itself, yeah. yes. <laughs> okay, My you're God. right. Back off with the passion a bit, if you could. <laughs> yeah. So what do you do? <laughs> uh, Val, I want to talk to you about uh, transfer markets. And uh, mm. why, why are we so poor at it in Australia? I tell you what, 1995 is when Zelko Kalitz was sold from Sydney United in the old National Soccer League to Leicester City mm. for $1.7 million. That record still stands, and I can't believe it. 1995. It's 25 years ago. All right. So uh, have we got bad player managers in Australia, or are we just naive at dealing with it? What's the, I, what's the I, issue? I think it's a combination of everything. So, okay, the transfer market, we still had it sort of surviving until the National Soccer League, you know, it, it said goodbye back in 2004. Um, there was a market there. The A-League comes up. You've got a salary cap. All of a sudden, it became like the communist regime. So you've got a salary cap, so the clubs couldn't spend more. Even if they had more money, just couldn't spend more on players. They had to spend, I think, 85% of the cap. So what you were doing, you were getting players, you were paying okay money, but they went up accordingly. They might still be poor players, but their wages kept going up. There's no transfer market in the Australian league between anybody. There was only training money. So we've... We've effectively killed off our own transfer market. And with the salary cap, clubs were reluctant to sign maybe Marcos Flores for five years. Whereas it was an open market, they'd sign you for five years because they know if you're good, they'll come after you and you, you, you go for the on-sale. So that's completely disappeared. Now, James Johnson, the FFA CEO at the moment, he's trying to reorganise a transfer <clears throat> market. So there's still a way to go. And Australians now are not respected in the same sort of sentence as the South American players going into Europe or, or even the Japanese or, or the South Koreans. So we've got to build that up again. You say build it up, but you've got to, you have to have the players. I mean, realistically, Albie, Marcus, from what you've seen recently, I mean, name five Australian players that should be playing overseas well, at, a, at a high level. So I'll answer it in this way. When you think back, um, going back a, a lot of years, um, when you've got uh, the, the likes of Harry Kuehl, yep. Vadukas and the Emertons and et cetera, et cetera, that was a very, very good side, and and we we actually um, hung off that for a lot of years because that was talent there. But you're right in what you're saying. You look at the national national circuit just just now. Is there players that's capable of playing in the top leagues now? I don't think there is, and I'm with all due respect, I don't think there is. But that team that we were speaking about, I'll tell you what, 
11, 12, 13 players could have played in the top leagues any place in the world. Marcus, is there anyone here at the moment that you can think of? Technically, I got. I was thinking how many players, A-League players, could play in, in, in foreign leagues, and I got more than five. Yeah. But I don't know if they could handle over there. Yeah. The whole that's package. The whole package. Yeah. Because that is what worries me. Mm. If we don't have at 12 years old, at 12 years of age, youth development, pl- people challenging our kids to hit the target, mm. what do you expect at 18 when they tell you, hey, if you don't, do that, if you don't hit that target, you're gone. Mm. Pack mm. your stuff. Well, so we had a, a conversation in the, the studio there, just Fal and I, outside um, the studio there just before we come in, and it was about that. It was about players going overseas. You could mention many, many, many people. Um, let's, let's mention Matty Mackay at Brisbane. Went across there at the age of 23 or 24. Very good player here. Uh, held his own captain of Brisbane role. He went to Glasgow Rangers and... He just, he just totally, he was back here within six months, I think it was, or nine months. Now, I'll tell you what's happening there, and I can only re- relate this to Scotland. You know, when I was full-time back in Scotland, there was 44 full-time players, okay? Mm. A lot of kids coming from Edinburgh and Glasgow, and at the age of 15, 16, they went on the ground staff at 16 dits, and I'll tell you what, there were men at 16. Mm. Yeah. And so there is a toughness about that. I think that's what you're alluding to, Marcus, in, uh, in your mm. country. And that's how I think players just get scared off. I'll tell you a story. There's a, a kid, he's not a kid now, he's, he's a man um, who I'm close to who went to trial for a Serie A club's junior side you know, when he was, uh, I think, about 14 years old. So he was pretty skillful, pretty, pretty tough. But over here, the kids are just playing each other. It just goes round and round in circles. You don't get tested. Anyway, he was playing on the right wing and... Um, he nutmegged the left fullback. And this is something that you don't do over there. So you get a kid coming from Australia, can't speak the language, can't speak Italian, nutmegs the left fullback. The next tackle is put the kid out for a month, mm. right? The left fullback clobbered him. And, and he was on the phone to his mother and he, he's crying. And, and his father said to the boy, well, what do you expect? Mm. You've walked in there to take their spot. You made him look stupid. Mm. And this is what happens over there. So these kids aren't really prepared for what goes on in these leagues where it's dog-eat-dog to get to the top. Mm. Welcome to professional football. That's right. Mm. <laughs> yep. So yeah, like- and, and growing up, it's not, it's not something that we need to put a military training in. It's not that. No. It's just we need to put standards in seven different approach to hit a target. Mm. In seven different approach. Yep. Some kid can, can cop. Come on, let's do it. Another kid can do it. Can we try to do this? Yeah. The third kid, what if we try to attempt that target? That is three. You you have to have seven in this country. Because how many, how is the percentage, tell me the percentage of kids playing the sport that can handle the approach A? The approach, come on, let's do it. One. Yep. One of thousands. So let's shift a little bit the approach so mm. we rescue and we invite more kids to play the sport because maybe doing this, we're going to find more kids that potentially can be prepared in three or four years from 12 to 14 telling uh, to the parent, look, today your kid will cry. You know why? Because he will lose. I will prepare the drill so he lose. 
So when 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 finish when he okay. goes to the car, he <laughs> goes to the car. He will be crying because he loses the training game. But great because that is going to happen one month if he goes on trial to Italy. Mm-hmm. All right, good point. Let's uh, talk about the EPL. A couple of weeks in, uh, Albert. First to you. What have you seen? What have you liked in the EPL so far? I've liked the way uh, Everton set up, uh, and probably Leicester and and. Incidentally, they are one and two in the league as we stand. But Ancelotti, I think he's got a, a good side there. He's got them playing really good foot. Look, we're only early days, two games in, I think, uh, value. I think yeah, two games in. Two yeah, games so in. Ancelotti um, doing really well there. Um, he's, for the first time in a long, long time at Everton, and it's strange we're talking about clubs like Everton and Leicester and, and missing out the Liverpools and the Arsenals and whatnot, but uh, he's he's been given a, a great budget to work to. He spent £43 million He's brought in some good players and um, he's do- done well. Hmm. Um, Brendan Rodgers, I've always thought, um, who's the manager of uh, Leicester, I've always had a, a high regard for Brendan Rodgers. I think when he was at Liverpool as a manager, it was very, very unfortunate what happened with Suarez. Uh, he fell out with Suarez and I think that was the reason for him departing Liverpool. Then he went to Glasgow Celtic, done well there. But he's now shown the signs that he's a good manager and Leicester is, has been a very good side since he's taken over. Yeah, all right. Marcus? Marcelo Bielsa. Marcelo Bielsa at Leeds in the first two rounds has scored eight goals, if I'm... Something like that. Eight, seven goals. <laughs> What's his name? Marcelo Bielsa. Bielsa. Well, he's certainly not from seven Scotland. Seven goals. He's certainly not from Scotland with a name like that. <laughs> No, he's not. <laughs> yeah, but um, he, when the when the journalist asked, you know, is that is that uh, what Leeds brings to the to the Premier League? And then he asked, what, what do you mean with it? Yeah, you know, scoring seven goals, and he said in the second in the in the in the in the Premiership, we score, we create more opportunities, we create more. Now we finalize it, but in the Premiership we create more, and here we find a challenge to create chances. The fact that they score goals, he said, I'm I'm happy with it, but we need to create more. Mm. Um, it's quite interesting what Leeds, um, what how Leeds embraced Marcelo Bielsa. Is that I think is one of the few clubs in the world that embraced it as Newsol Boys did when he started his coaching career with Newsol Boys is my home yep. in Rosario. He had the name, the stadium of Newsol Boys called Marcelo Bielsa. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, two years ago, donated a hotel for the club. So that is how he, he, he said few, in few interviews that he will never, ever love the club Mm. Like the, 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 in, in, in his youth, in, uh, becoming the coach, he mm. would never love the club like that. Mm. But I think Elite is getting closer, mate. <laughs> Maybe. Just, <laughs> just with Bielsa, his nickname's El Loco. I remember him back in 2002. I worked at the World Cup when he was working for Argentina, and, and Argentina needed to beat Sweden, and they ended up drawing 1 1. It was a, t- a team with Pochettino, Batistuta, Crespo, yeah, yeah. Ortega, a great team. And I remember. I was working as a media liaison. I had to get Bielsa and take him to the FIFA studio to get interviewed first. So he gets in the studio. There's two journalists from Argentina absolutely abused the living <laughs> life out of him, right? He wanted to go, but we had to keep him in there. Then he had to go through the mix zone, which he, he didn't want to do because he knew that they were, they were after him. I walked him through. You should have seen the abuse that this poor guy got. Unbelievable. But he copped it, got on the bus, but they kept him on. But I thought that was the end of him. I think if the Argentinian mm. press are mm. mauling this guy, this yep. is the end of him. And then there was talk uh, a few years ago, he was even going to be the 
so- the coach of the Socceroos mm-hmm. at one point. Craig Foster was pushing him. Mm-hmm. I, see, I think I've seen a documentary on... Uh, he's quite technical, isn't he? You know, he's very whiteboard-driven uh, and, and all that type of stuff. But, you know, a technical coach like that coming into the EPL... Um, again, another foreigner valleys you've mentioned earlier on in the programme, but uh, but I think he'll bring something special and very different to the EPL. I think Leeds will do well this year. Just with foreign managers, right, since 1992 when the EPL kicked off, mm. not one Englishman has won the title. You're joking. You, <laughs> so we've got four Italians, two Scotsmen, a Chilean, a Portuguese, a Frenchman, a Spaniard, and, and the German Klopp. Last season with wow. the yeah, so but, what does that say? Yeah, but when Scottish managers win things, we're we're, we're well, identif- got- no, listen, we're, we're identified as being British. <laughs> but you That's got the problem. Alex, so Alex Ferguson and, and Kenny Dalglish obviously have won it. But what's up with the English coaches? Why can't they win this title with the EPL? What, what what's the matter with them? Are, they, just, are they no good? Can I just say as well, Ferguson Dalglish, can Scotland please contribute something to the world game? For God's sake, hey. <laughs> <laughs> eh? <laughs> God, you just sit back but, and, eh? Is it, is it the coaching? Are they not good enough? Do they not understand the tactics? Do they not understand the, the, the mentality of their players that they, they're afford? You know? It's more than tactics. It is just more than tactics. It's how, um, how you manage the players, how you manage, how you adapt to different cultures. I remember in the United States, um, an Argentinian coach, that he become a Bolivian national team coach and blah, blah, blah. Well, he was in the under 12 of Barcelona with Messi. So imagine the CV of this guy walking into the dressing room. In our dressing room, we got 17 different nationalities because they got green cards. Okay, yeah, yeah. So yep. was it Jamaican, was it Spanish, was it Colombian, was six Argentinians, two, every, only one American. Only one. Yeah. yeah. Now, what happened, brother? We, the coach couldn't manage all these, these 17 different nationalities. Jeez, that's amazing. Yeah, and, and, and collapse. And then yeah. he goes to Chile, best team in Chile, and he destroyed the league. But when you, when, just to pick up on uh, Val's point here, you, you look at the, uh, the Alex Ferguson days and the Kenny Dalglish that they've done well, mm. especially Fergie, obviously, yep, but... Yep. But it was, you know, the changing environment now with, with teams, it's, you know, it's quite breathtaking what's going on these days. It's a different environment. Could Alex Ferguson coach in this environment? I'm not sure. Because it has changed quite dramatically. Yeah, but look at the personalities he had in the change room. Yep. And that's been his greatest feat, I think. Not, not winning what he won, but how he actually managed all of those people. And we know that uh, the famous incident with Beckham, that he got rid of him. How could you get rid of the most famous and favourite person in Manchester? Well, let me ask you a question. It's amazing. Let me ask a question, Dits. Do you think he'd be able to manage Pod- Pogba? Yeah, I'm sure he would. Yeah, he would, but he'd end up getting him out the door. Yeah, that's because right. Because <laughs> the nature of the beast is such that... You know, you know, you think about Van Nusselrooy and that that you got rid of, mm. and the Beckhams and that that type mm. of stuff. He comes into that category. Yeah, just um, ego and all, all the above. Now we've been talking about the English Premier League, and I've given you a fair few minutes. I can't believe you haven't mentioned one of the superpowers in world football, oh. West Bromwich West Albion. For God's sake. What about my club? Look, we've made a slow start, very slow start, but we'll we'll get there. I just want you to have a listen to this, okay? Listen to this. That's Slavin Bilic. You know, he plays in a rock band. Oh, that's right. That's the manager of Slavin Bilic, yeah. <laughs> Magnificent. Know. Maybe you should stick to that. They're actually. called Rawbow in what his he, spare what does time. He play? Uh, I think he's on guitar. 
Good on him. But they're man. a uh, yeah, they're a band in Croatia. And, Val, uh, Val's a rock star as well. He tells me. I'm a drummer. Drummer. Yeah. I'm in two bands. Look out, man. Are you? At really? the moment. Okay. One one of them was an ex guitarist. One of the boys was ex ex guitarist for uh, Doc's Doc. Neeson. Doc Neeson, the Angels. But coming back to the football, West Brom and Albion. Yep. Uh, we we heaped praise on Everton. They beat West Brom and Albion 3 0. Mm. The first game. Lucky. Luck, very <laughs> so lucky. Very lucky. <laughs> Boys, great to talk to you. Just before we go, Val, you wanted to talk about the Matildas coach? Yeah, there's a uh, really hot tip. Um, the new Matildas coach would, will be an Italian. I'm, I heard 99% almost sure it will be Carolina Morace. Mm who used to coach the Italians, Trinidad and Tobago and Canada. I actually got in contact with her on um, Tuesday night. So yep. we're in touch and she messaged me nicely and said, I can't really speak at the moment, mm. but uh, look out. Looks this, like it's happening. It, it, this could be a massive surprise <laughs> to take us up to 2024. All right. Good story. So she comes with good credentials, uh, Val? 100%. Yep. Really well respected as well in Italy, not only as a coach, because she's an Italian playing legend, but she's on uh, Sky Sports doing the Italian Serie A. Brilliant. She speaks good English. She spent three years in Perth with Floria Athena back in 2015, I think, until 2018. So she knows Australia well. All right, you've been listening to The Real Football Show, Triple M Podcast, Albie Kid, Marcus Flores, Val Miliaccio, and Chris Dittmar.